mobile phones, laptops, tablets, and everything in between. This is Sean and Sean, and you're listening to the Silicon Theory Podcast. Greetings, fellow tech seekers, and happy Techtober to all of you. Sean from Silicon Theory here, and because it's Techtober, I wanted to ring up Sean P. and give you some of our thoughts on all of the wild and wacky stuff that's been going on so far this month. We have the Galaxy... I'm going to get this wrong. Plunkett will correct me. The Galaxy Z Fold 2 5G uh, in the house, which Sean has been testing for the last couple of weeks now. We have the Apple iPhone 12 and iPhone 12 Pro announcements that just got dropped. I've got my Google Pixel 5 on order that'll be shipping to me at the end of this month. And we've also had some hands-on time with the Samsung Galaxy S20 Fan Edition uh, in the Plunkett household. So I'm going to ring up Sean P here and let's get started. Hello. What's up, my man? Not much. Sunday night. I'm watching the Dodgers game a little bit. I'm not a huge baseball guy, but I have lots of friends that are diehard Dodgers fans, and uh, I'm hoping they win so those people don't have to like jump off a building or something. <laughs> I was going to say, I think you once described to me baseball as the most boring sport imaginable. Would that be correct? Dude, I mean, the regular season is 162 games of like three hours of boredom, so yes. Um, I tend to like playoffs. I'll, I'll watch the playoffs, but uh, yeah, baseball's uh you know, not not the best sport ever. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. I have been a big baseball fan in the past, and um, I'm a huge Mariners fan. And so every year when they suck, I just stop watching about 15 games into the season, and then my life is much better thereby. So we're good there. Yeah, no, it's funny too. Like I played all growing up and enjoyed it, but my son played a couple seasons and um, played soccer and basketball and a couple other sports. And baseball was the one he was like, "Nah, I'm good." <laughs> like right at the time the kids started pitching. And they're just walking kids around the diamond, and it's like, you know, two hours of watching kids get walked all around. It was like, nah, nah, I don't want to do this anymore. I can't really blame him. Yeah, that checks out. I, I agree. Jack's smarter than probably both of us. <laughs> so. Uh, so where are we starting? I, I was thinking it, it's been bonkers. We have all the iPhones. We yep. have uh, Pixels. We have uh, the, the AT. I mean, you name it. Yep, we've got, I think I led the uh, open with, um, you've been having sort of a test time with the, um, and I knew I was going to call it wrong, but is it the, the the Samsung Galaxy Z Fold 2 5G? Is that the right name? Yeah, that I got it. And that name is just an abomination. So yeah, you know, a few years ago, you can listen back to me on the podcast when the Galaxy S8 Plus came out saying that T-Mobile was like on crack because it was $930 and who in their right mind would spend $930 on a phone. Um, and now I bought one that retails for like $2,000. Um, shout out to the guys on our Galaxy Fold, though. They they know all the tricks, so I, I spent less than that. But yeah, I've been using it for the last... Uh, I've had one for like the last month, actually, but I've only been using it really a ton the last week or so. Um, it turned out they launched and there was absolutely no cases for the phone, except for Samsung that released just a case for the back half, which doesn't seem particularly useful to me. I was a little bit reticent to carry it around without a case. Um, but now I have, I have a couple cases and I've been messing around with it more and it's, it's a ton of fun. You know, look, candy bar phones are all pretty good at this point, but they're pretty stagnant. It's, there's not really a lot to necessarily differentiate one from, from the other. And you know, this is something completely different. Um, the front screen is, is a lot larger this year to the point it's like 6.2 inches. So it's, 
but it's narrow. It's a, a, a weird aspect ratio. And so, but it's usable. So, you know, I, I've been messing around with the phone and you can look at email and notifications and pull up stuff and use it on the front screen. But as you can imagine, kind of the, the bread and butter of the device is the, the main tablet screen. Um, and it's really neat. I mean, you know, you unfold the thing and it's 7.6 inches and it's 120 hertz. Uh, it has a single kind of hole punch in it, but you don't notice that much. Um, one interesting thing I'll say is the crease, which I really didn't know what I was going to think about that once I had one. Um, a lot of users will tell you it disappears when you're using the device. And to some extent, that's largely true. Hmm. Unless you're off angle or outdoors, it largely disappears. Uh, in the sun, it's just too bright. You can see it. But when I'm you know, in the house with normal ambient lighting, if you're looking at the device straight on, the crease really does, you, you can't see it. And then, especially at night when you're in lower lighting environments, you really, like, literally cannot see that it's there. Um, and, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, I can't wait to kind of put it through its paces more as a phone um, and, and just less as kind of around the house using it as a tablet, which has been my use case so far. But it's, it's really a fun device. I was setting up today, you know, a Dolphin emulator, which emulates... Wii and GameCube games and, you know, booted up Resident Evil 4, which I haven't played in many years. And it's awesome. I mean, the the screen's huge and the hardware's so powerful that it's like, you know, you can crank up the resolution and all kinds of stuff and it's smooth and, um, yeah, it's, it's really a neat device. It's hard to, it's hard to recommend. You can tell that this form factor is a little bit in its infancy. It's still, it feels super solid. But at the same time, like, you know, the interior screen comes with a screen protector from Samsung and it's, it's fine. It, it's, it feels plasticky a little bit, but it's, it has to be there because, you know, it has this ultra thin glass, but there's a bunch of layers of plastic on top of that polymer and, um, it needs the protection. So it, it feels sturdy, but also like, it's still weird to, when I carry it around, I feel like it's fragile sometimes, um, I know there's a bunch of guys that have been using this now for since the last one came out and the Z flips and they've had good luck with their devices and they actually haven't ended up to necessarily be any more fragile than a normal phone. But I guess it just feels so foreign, the, the form factor and the way that it works that I, I inherently want to like be careful with it. Yeah, I can see that. And <clears throat> if not for the early leaked rumors of the Google Pixel 5 and it kind of being... And we'll talk about this a little bit more later on in the show, but if not for it being basically like a phone pretty much exclusively di- designed for people like me, I would probably be an owner of the Z Flip 2 right now, and or the Z Flip 5G, I guess is what they're calling it. And it's a, it, foldables are just a really, really interesting thing right now. Like, Yes, are they kind of a, a niche product in its infancy? Probably. Are they wildly overpriced? Absolutely. But... There is definite utility there, and I think that as more and more um, OEMs get the ability to kind of manufacture these folding displays or at least acquire them for their own devices, I think we're going to go through kind of a second renaissance of, um, you know, what smartphones look like and what people think that they're capable of doing with them. Because, like you said, there you, you've got this really, what is it, am I talking to you on it right now, by the way? Are you using it as your SIM in it right now? No, no, I'm, I'm on the OnePlus 7 Pro still right now. Got it. Okay, so 
the essential uh, the essential commentary here is that outside six point two inch display is something wacky. Like, isn't it like twenty one by nine or twenty two by nine, something like that? Like super tall, I super think skinny. Twenty one nine is what I want. Uh, no, it's it's taller than twenty one nine. It's like twenty four nine or something. I think. Yeah, okay. it's a weird aspect ratio. I know that it it. I think it's the same aspect ratio as one of the Sony Xperia phones, which is just it's that super tall, skinny phone. It's like basically looking at a. It's like it's like basically if your smartphone was a ruler, like a classic ruler. It's like that. It's super skinny, but like really, really tall. But I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head. Like it's it's there for you. To, I mean, the six point two inch size is basically the equivalent of, uh, let's see. Well, the four A five G, the Google Pixel four A five G has a six point two inch display. So it's the size of a modern smartphone. But then you have the extra ability to kind of fold it open and have this tablet experience that you could really do whatever you wanted to. So you know, again, play video games on it. Sure. Um, you know, use it as a giant iPad style thing for, you know, Google maps or whatever. Like, yeah. If, can you imagine like being, can you imagine in a world without COVID where you had this before you took your trip to Italy and you're there and you're like, Oh, I need to bring up Google maps so that we can walk around, you know, downtown Rome or whatever. Like rather than having a paper map or having a, a Thomas guide or, you know, some kind of, um, you know, purchased map at a tourist attraction, you could just literally pop that thing open and then you've got Google Maps there and you'd be able to wander around and use your tablet sized phone as a map. Like that's just kind of it's it's really interesting. It's a really fun kind of application for that technology. And I'm really excited to see where the um where the, uh, this, the market segment of this goes. While I'm not necessarily interested in having that gigantic tablet style experience, I think for me the Z Flip is definitely much more of, of something that I think that you know a, a modern or more mainstream consumer might use. Because you can say, oh yes, I've got this you know, tiny phone folded up in my pocket and if I wanna pull it out and respond to text messages or you know, read a quick email or what have you can do that. And then when I'm ready to you know, Netflix and chill in the evening, I can just flip it open and then now I've got you know, this six what was it six point five what what size was the display it's on the six point, uh, no seven seven point six on the inside okay no 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 not the um fold two but the z flip oh the z flip yeah it's uh six point nine yes I believe. okay yes. so but essentially you've got this really large you know kind of also kind of really tall and skinny aspect ratio but it's great for two by one viewing of of youtube videos or you know any other kind of content even if you get it letterbox like and then when you're done with it you just fold it in half and you know away it goes it's just foldables really are the future and i think it's cool and fun that you bought one instead of me but um i if not for the pixel like i said i could very say very easily have seen myself with um a Z Flip 2 or a Z Flip 5G. And um, I'm sure I would have been very happy with it. And I think that as that kind of tech gets more commoditized, more and more people are going to see the value in it too. So that's a, that's a fun thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, my cousin asked me about it today. He's like, well, what is, you know, what's great about it? And I'm like, it's exactly like what you're saying. It's just really nice to be able to flip open a tablet when you want one. And even just doing things as normal as Twitter, web surfing, Reddit, whatever. Um, Big shout to Reddit. Yeah, yeah. Plenty of real estate. Yeah, and there's just lots of stuff that you can do. And it's kind of interesting. I I would, I kind of told them the same thing. Like, you shouldn't buy one now, but it is the future. And also, I would say the Fold 2 does not feel prototypey is the other nice thing here. I mean, it is... I'll give Samsung a lot of credit here. It, it, it feels like a luxury good. It's, you know, the hinge is a little thick, but it's heavy. It's got a nice heft in the hand. All of the materials are super premium. It, it reminds me of a, very much like a, you know, it's a luxury good is what it feels like to me. It's like, you don't need this, but it definitely has some utility and it's cool. 
and uh, well put together. And to your point, I think it's just kind of the future of things. So it's neat to kind of be able to jump into that early because I think that ultimately you're correct. Most phones will go these two directions. You'll have effectively tablets that fold into phones or you'll have kind of the clamshell style that you're talking about. And I think that probably within, it depends on how much they you know, cost and when Apple does it and those kinds of things. But I would imagine within five years, maybe less, um, certainly a, a hefty percentage of the phones that are sold are, will be this. And once, once they come down in price, uh, especially, and, and, you know, right now they lack waterproofing and there's some other things that they don't do quite as well. They're more fragile. They're, they're not there fundamentally all the way, but um, they're neat. And, and I think it's the future. And, and uh, you know, again, it's, it's a hard thing to recommend, but it's like I'm, I'm also super happy that I have one because it's so unique and just fun to use. Yeah, and I think, you know, there'll be some folks that would agree with you and that they would rather have it. And, you know, we've talked about it a little bit, but I've seen a lot of um, YouTube reviewers have been tossing their, you know, Z Flip 5Gs around, like throwing them on the ground and, you know, chucking them against walls and all kinds of stuff to just prove that they're not any more or less fragile than a traditional candy bar style phone. And I think once people kind of get over the... I want to say the stigma, but, you know, more like sticker shock of, you know, paying thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars for a clamshell style or, you know, upwards of two grand for a, a, a tablet foldable. Um, you know, once those prices come down a little bit, I mean, and we'll talk about the iPhones like, you know, iPhone 12 Pro Max is going to start at eleven hundred dollars. And for two hundred dollars more, you can get a fold that fo- a phone that folds like that's a, a really interesting uh, price point to be at when you're looking at okay, um, you know what are some of these um, what do some of these foldables have as advantages? Specifically, the Samsung ones with with respect to the displays and the high refresh rates and stuff like that because Apple's still playing catch up there, and um, there's there's just a, a lot to kind of and you know no pun intended but there's a lot to unpack there because there is. Um, there is definite utility, probably not at the price point for most people that it's at right now. But, you know, once we get, you know, once that comes down by, you know, 30, 40%, I think we're going to start to see a much higher adoption rate. And then I think we'll really start to see the, the widespread use of that technology, um, really take off as, as people get able to get into that, um, that kind of segment a little bit easier. So any final thoughts on that? I think there's just something to be said for phones are boring. They're, we've talked about this, they're a commodity and it's like. There is something to just be said at this point for like different and fun and sometimes different stupid. So I don't, you have to be careful here. It's like, you know, you could be a Pontiac Aztec. Yeah, you're different, but that's just because you're hideous, right? You could be the LG, you could be the LG wing. Well, I actually think the wing is an interesting phone, but like I would say for these phones, you're, you're right. There's certainly downsides, but there, there is, at least in this case, there are use cases that you can definitely lay out where it's like, the folding tablet is awesome because you have something that's basically the size of a phone that folds into a tablet that you can use whenever you want. The use case for the clamshell is, you know, it's half the footprint of a normal phone. It's thicker though, but then it unfolds into a normal sized phone and, and that's nice. So it's like there are tangible benefit, benefits that you can lay out, whereas sometimes in the past when things are more gimmicky, for lack of a better word, you really have to like dig deep to find any kind of practical application. So. It'll be interesting to see, but it's really cool, and I can't wait. You know, we're in COVID land, so it kind of sucks, but I got to get you over to the house now that I have a have it in the case, and you can come and kind of check it out. And it, it just it is satisfying. It's like you know, you fold it in half into a V, and it's like it's the weirdest damn thing. It's like yeah. you have, you know the screen's lit up, and it's high resolution, and it looks cool, and it's it's folded. It's 
it's bizarre. Yeah, so, very much awesome. so. No, absolutely. I want to <laughs> definitely want to come by and check it out. And I think that you've got um, <clears throat> you've got a a real. I think you've kind of hit on the head the thing that really makes the most sense for these types of devices now. That first generation model or the Gen Zero model that got recalled was hot garbage, and then the Gen One model was better but still was really that kind of prototype type of feeling and now this gen 2 or you know the literally the fold 2 um has really in very rapid amount of time in a very rapid amount of time produced a quality product that you look at it and you go would i pay two thousand dollars for that thing hell no would it would i say that it is worth two thousand dollars because of the tech that goes into it yeah, absolutely. I can I can totally see that, and why I can see why people would want to pay that much money for it, and um, I I can see Samsung making even more rapid advancement as more and more people um, want to take advantage of this kind of this kind of you know interesting technology, you know, kind of novel technology, if you will, in the future. So, uh, like I said, good on you for uh, for taking the plunge, and uh, yeah, I'm really I'm really interested in taking a look at it, as well as maybe one of the other. Uh, interesting phones that samsung has launched this year do you want to you want to talk a little bit about the um galaxy s20 fe yeah i mean samsung released the galaxy s20 fe i think about a month and a half ago it came out a few weeks back but basically with covid and the fact that the s20 started at 999 dollars as you can imagine sales have not been brisk so they and, and they claimed this phone was not in development they developed it in kind of rapid order but uh, the Galaxy S20 Fan Edition is an entry-level Galaxy S20, so it's uh, uh, a square form factor. It's kind of interesting. It looks almost more like a Note in the design language, but it's flat screen, 6.5 inch, 1080p, 120 hertz, uh, Snapdragon 865, 6 gig of RAM, 128 gigabytes of memory plus SD card slot, um, has wireless charging. They swapped out the... Uh, glass back for a glass stick back so it comes in a range of colors um and uh, uh aluminum frame um and it, it 699 is the asking price but everyone basically had it on sale for 599 and then on t-mobile they were they had a, a deal where you could trade in um a, like a whole bunch of old phones they'd give you 500 worth of bill credits um, I snagged a hookup deal code for 200 bucks, so we bought one for my son for the low, low price of nothing. And so we've had one around the house. He got the navy blue, and it's awesome. Um, it does everything pretty well. It's fast. The screen, I, I know it's quote-unquote only 1080p, but in order to run the Galaxy S20s at 120 hertz, you have to set the resolution to 1080p, so I'm not sure there's an effective difference there. Um, the plastic back, glastic back, whatever you want to call it, it's not as nice as glass to the touch, but I put every phone that I own in a case, and so does my son, so it immediately goes into a plastic case anyway. I'm not sure that matters. And, and even then, it's matte, and it doesn't show fingerprints, and it's going to be something that you don't have to worry about dropping and um, shattering, and it still allows you to do wireless charging. Um, my brother bought one too, same, same phone. So we have two of them in the family. Um, 5G speeds. So, you know, popped in his uh, T-Mobile R15 SIM card and great signal everywhere and fast <laughs> connectivity. And it's it's a ton of phone for the money. I mean, on one hand, it's like the, the exact opposite of the Z Fold 2. Like the Z Fold 2 feels like a luxury product that's 
existence is kind of, you know, it's justifiable as you outlined, but it's really not for most people. And it's, it's more of a, almost like a fashion item than it is something that you certainly have to have from a phone. Whereas the galaxy S 20 FE is kind of the opposite. It, it's, it literally feels like Samsung stripped out the things that were less important in order to save money, kept the things that were really important, like the 120 hertz screen and the cameras, which I didn't even touch. It, it basically has the same cameras as the S 20 family. And the pictures are fantastic. My son's been taking pictures and I've been messing around with the night mode and it's, uh, you know, every bit of flagship camera. So it's, it, it, I actually, the, the rumors today, the S21 design leaked. And it reminds me very much of the FE. It's a flat screen and it's a glastic back. And if you had told me Samsung was going to do that a year ago, I probably would have been like, well, that's stupid. That doesn't sound nearly as nice as the S20, right? But having held the FE, I kind of go, well, the rumor is they're going to drop the price. And if the Galaxy S20 launches, it's 21, excuse me, launches for, say, you know, the same general neighborhood, $699, $799, as opposed to $999, and the trade-offs are, quote-unquote, a flat screen and a glastic back, as opposed to glass, I don't think the trade-offs are much. In fact, in some ways, I prefer the flat screen and the the glastic back. So it's it's an impressive device, and it's like, if you're on a carrier, you can get any kind of deal. I, I think it's a... A, re- a really, really strong contender. Yeah, this is this device from Samsung is probably the most consumer-friendly product maybe that they've launched in, I don't know, probably since maybe like the original Galaxy series, which were, you know, more moderately priced. But, you know, obviously the economy was a lot different back then too. But I, I think, it, and there are a lot of sites that will tell you or will, you know, if you read them, they will say, that the Galaxy S20 Fan Edition may be the phone of the year. And it's because what Samsung is able to provide you at that price point is really, really remarkable. And if you can, if and the only caveat I'm going to say is, if you can get over, not get over, but if you prefer a phone that has that size and form factor, I mean, it's a six and a half inch display, so it's a it's a pretty good size phone. It's, it's roughly the size... Uh, of my OnePlus 7T, which, you know, is not a small phone. It's a good size phone. It's a, uh, GSM Arena says it's 20 by 9 aspect ratio. So it, it's, you know, fairly tall and, and narrow. Um, it, if you can, if you're okay with that size, I don't think, realistically speaking, I don't think really anything comes close to providing you with the value for the money as well as the, the robustness of the feature set. I mean, you've got basically every single freaking kind of charging you can get in a phone. It's got 25 watt fast charging, 15 watt fast wireless charging, four and a half watt reverse wireless charging, and it'll also do USB power delivery 3.0. Like, and that's in a phone that is basically made of, you know, an, an aluminum frame with plastic. So um, you did leave out, I'm very disappointed, you left out the most important feature of this phone, which is the Bixby natural language commands and dictation. But... <laughs> Oh wait a minute! Nobody cares yeah. about nobody cares about Bixby. Sorry. I, I actually I do think I left out one of the key features actually though, which is the forty five hundred milliamp hour battery. It's massive and it gets really good battery life. So yeah, I mean, it, it, this phone is easily recommended to almost anyone if if you're in the Android ecosystem. And um, and your price point that, is around seven hundred bucks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and even then, like <coughs> when you look at it compared to even. Like when we'll talk about the iPhones in a minute, I'm, 
there's some things that compare pretty nicely to the iPhones. Like the 120 hertz screen is no joke. It's it, it would be hard to go back to a 60 hertz screen in this budget phone, quote unquote, has it. So I actually, you know, I, I approve. I, I think we talked about this in our Pixel podcast, and I, if Samsung's doing kind of the same thing, which they're going, well, phones have stagnated out. People don't want to pay a grand, and we can build a kick-ass phone for, you know, five ninety nine, six ninety nine, or whatever. Uh, and that's what we're going to do for our entry level every year for our flagship. It makes a ton of sense to me. And you've got a lot of longevity with this phone. It is it is using the latest flagship from Qualcomm. Um, well, eight sixty five, not the eight sixty five plus, but still, it, it's the latest Qualcomm chipset. It's a seven nanometer chip. It, the phone was launched and available. Let's see, it was announced September twenty third, made available on October second. So it's been out now for you know three weeks, and. I have yet to see a site that has a bad thing to say about it. And I was really interested in your um, your your end user experience because, you know, I would figure that the 120 hertz display and using the latest Snapdragon chip, you know, even with the 4,500 milliamp hour battery would, would mean that the battery life might be average at best. But it sounds like from what you're saying that it's really good. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, the, the battery life for both my brother and my son is very, very strong. Their use cases are slightly different. My son is just playing, you know, five hours of Among Us. And my brother, <laughs> though, is using it more for, you know, calls and texts and a variety of things. And dude, both of them have dude, remarked I'm, on how good the battery life is. I'm, I'm going to have to tell you then, that makes that makes Jack sus. You know what I'm saying? Jack no, playing I, Among I, Us all I, the time. It makes him sus. Is he the imposter? Sometimes. And I, and I, I love... <laughs> Man, it's amazing how fast this stuff just creeps. It's like that's sus, bro. That's sus, bro. Like fifty-seven times. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to pull my ears off of my head because I can't handle it. It, it became a meme in about four like, minutes. Seriously. Yeah, I, I become that angry old man shaking my fist, going, "Get off my lawn! And stop saying sus." Um, but uh, no, it, it's a really, really solid device, and it, it's a good direction for Samsung. Phones got really expensive, and I think that. Like looking at the S21, it seems like it's more of a in line with the FE than it is the S20. And I think for the average buyer or even for companies trying to sell phones, it makes a lot of sense. And there are there are a few companies uh, trying to sell phones. And I think maybe that actually ends up being a really nice segue. I mean, we, we've got we've talked about the fan edition as maybe, you know, arguably the phone of the year. And if you're in the $700 price bracket, there's probably not any other phone you should choose. If there was a phone that you might consider choosing, and you're on Android, you're probably looking very hard at one of the new Pixel phones that was announced. So specifically, I'm referring to the 4A 5G and the Pixel 5, which uh, I mentioned at the top of the pod. I've already got my Pixel 5 on pre-order. I mentioned a little bit earlier that this is a phone that was almost, it feels like it was almost exclusively designed for me because it has basically everything that I wanted in a Pixel phone, you know, minus a few compromises. But there are some, there are some very interesting and very salient points that we need to talk about because we're gonna. I think that in a large part, most of the Pixel Five reviews that I've seen have been incredibly favorable. They believe that it may be the best Pixel phone that Google has ever produced, but it also is six ninety nine. And part of the reason that it's six ninety nine is because Verizon is the devil. But the the real the real the reality of the situation is that the Pixel Five and the Samsung Galaxy S twenty Fan Edition are going to be very strongly compared to each other's. 
I'm not including the 8T at this point just because it is $50 more and it does have some of the compromises that um, Google was not willing to make, meaning it doesn't have an official IP rating. It doesn't have um, wireless or reverse wireless charging. Um, <clears throat> it, it doesn't have some of the other things that the Pixel does come with, but um, we'll, we'll talk about the AT in a minute, but it, it, it isn't really, it, it's basically a two horse race and the Pixel 5 and the S20 Fan Edition. And from what I've seen, most of, and Android Police was probably the biggest um, critic of the Pixel 5, at least so far that I've read, like Ruddick was really not in favor of the Pixel 5. In fact, he was on Twitter today saying, yep, I'm done. I'm going to go on to the AT right now. I'm, I'm out on the Pixel 5. And I wanted to, I wanted to yell at him because I'm a Pixel fanboy, but uh, I didn't um, because I really want to get mine in house, and I want to, I want to play around with it, and I want to, I want to really see if the the things that Google did to make the Pixel Five cheaper um, may have seriously compromised it. But let's talk about it, right? So it's a six inch. Uh, 2430, or excuse me, 2340 by 1080 panel. It's a 19 and a half by nine aspect ratio, Corning Gorilla Glass six. It is running the Snapdragon 765G, so it is not the top end Qualcomm chipset, but it is a 5G enabled chipset. Uh, it comes in one SKU in two colors. It's eight gigs of RAM, 128 gigs of storage. It's got a dual camera setup on the back that now includes the standard and the ultra wide instead of the Pixel 4 and 4XL last year, which had a standard and a telephoto. Um, the video now does do 4K60. It does 1080 at 30, 60, 120, and 240. The video modes um, apparently have been greatly improved, and Google introduced three new video stabilization modes this year just for fun. Um, it's got a 4,080 milliamp hour battery, which is the biggest battery ever put in a Pixel phone. It's got 18 watt wired charging. It's got reverse wire. It's got reverse charging. It's got wireless charging and USB power delivery 2.0. It comes in two colors, just black and sort of sage. Um, sort of sage, or AKA Baby Yoda green, is the one that I've got on order. Um, I, I'm really excited for this phone, not only because the reviews have been pretty much overwhelmingly positive, but the biggest. The biggest criticism that I've seen so far is that people feel that Google priced it too high. Well, uh, newsflash, Google's priced their phones too high every year. And I, I've seen a lot of people who are comparing it to uh, other phones. And, and, you know, this is, this is, and we can talk about this, but rightly so. Like comparing it to another phone that's at $699 is, is definitely a valid, you know, criticism. But I think if you're looking at it from the standpoint of compare it to other Pixel phones, I think it is probably the phone with the least amount of compromises, the most amount of user feedback taken into consideration from the Google standpoint, because people people complained about the battery life, let's shove a giant battery in there. People complained that the telephoto wasn't as useful as a wide angle, let's put a wide angle in there. People complained about <clears throat> The rising price of phones, so we're gonna pull out the we're gonna pull out the Snapdragon 865. I'm gonna put in the 765G in there instead and, and drop the price back up 100 bucks. To me, the 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 Pixel 5 is going to be or is likely to be from everything that I've read greater than the sum of its parts. You get a pretty good software or excuse me a pretty good hardware experience and a really good software experience and that does things from usability from camera processing from just kind of a quality of life thing and, and again this is kind of the point that i made with the s20 fan edition like it is a six inch display it is a very 
I'm going to say, I'm going to laugh when I say small phone, but it is a small one-handed phone that has kind of been universally praised as, as being like really kind of the sweet spot for size for most people. And I think it is that. I think the Google Pixel 5 is a Pixel phone for most people. And if you're, if you're shopping at the $700 price point, you've basically got two options, like I said. And it doesn't have some of the bells and whistles and the hardware spec that the S20 FE does. But I think it has one single advantage, and that is it's got Google's software power behind it. And that, to me, is what makes a better user experience and why I bought that phone. So what are you, what are you thinking about the Pixel 5? Um, I think that most of what you're saying jives with my impressions of the phone. I, I, overall, I really love it. I think they nailed a lot of things, certainly in, that in years past Google has not nailed. I think the design looks great. They managed to, I think, be the first on the market almost with a, a phone that has completely uniform bezels, yep. which sounds like a trivial thing, but it really does make it look kind of a cut above. Uh, it has a small hole punch in the corner. Um, I like the fact that the phone's metal. I know it's coated, and it has kind of a cutout for the wireless charging, but glass phones glass phones became the norm because everyone needed wireless charging. It was like the only quote-unquote premium material that worked. But it really has a lot of downsides, namely, you know, cracks easily and shatters, right? So yeah. I really like that they kind of found a solution here. Um, I like the textured back. I like the, the you know, the, the colors are a little mellow this year. They don't have like the pop of the button or whatever, but I really like the subtle sage. I think it's a neat color. I like the, the it has like a gloss logo on the back and a gloss uh power button that looks neat in an understated way. Um, I think that the decision to go from an 865 to a 765 largely doesn't matter that much to most people. It, the only the only caveat would be if you're a heavy gamer. I saw Ruddick say, you know, Fortnite doesn't run well on it. I'm sure that's probably true, but for most people, I'm not sure how many people are running Fortnite on their phone with regularity. I, there are people that are doing it, but um, I, I'm not sure that's that certainly wouldn't be in my top 100 things I would be looking looking at for a phone. So, nah, not at all. overall, I... I I think that they nailed the fundamentals. The giant battery is a big deal. I can't remember the last Pixel phone that had even like really above average battery life, and everyone is saying the battery life on this is relatively outstanding. And that's, I think that's a lot more important to most buyers than the, the quote unquote GPU downgrade from the 865 to the 765. The the only thing that I would take that I would take umbrage with, and I wish they hadn't done, although I know why they did it. You mentioned the Verizon's the devil. Mm. Th th this is the, the biggest bummer part about the pricing. <coughs> In other parts of the world, the pricing is equivalent to about $599. Correct. And the reason that is, is because Verizon, excuse me, Google did not release a millimeter wave version of this phone in other regions. In the United States, Verizon really because of the, the spectrum that they own, had no choice but to go all in on millimeter wave for their 5G. It's a terrible, terrible decision. We've talked about this, I think, briefly before, but basically the, the long and short of it is millimeter wave is such high frequency that it can't, unless you have a direct line of sight to the tower, you're not getting it. And so you can use this in some cities, in densely packed cities, but that's about it. And so... These companies have to make a decision. If, if they want to do a phone on Verizon this year in 5G, your choices are you either release two variants, one that doesn't have the millimeter wave and one that does, and that's what Samsung did with the Galaxy S20 FE. They released two variants, um, and that was the way they managed this. Or your other alternative is you, you do one SKU, 
uh, which Samsung has been doing in its higher end phones that includes millimeter wave, but you're basically, you're asking every user that's not on Verizon to subsidize, you know, the millimeter wave antennas that are not trivial. It's like 50 to $100 per phone. So the only thing that I would say is I wish, I actually think that was a mistake. I wish that Samsung, excuse me, I wish that Google had released a version in the United States without millimeter wave for $599. I think at that point, it's like, it's a slam dunk. That phone, you know, price per dollar or anything you want to say, there's there's not really a whole lot to say about it. Um, so it's kind of a bummer. But even at $699, like, I, I just, it's an excellent all-around phone. I think you can make arguments for the S20 FE from a value proposition point. I think you can make arguments for the Pixel 5. Um, they're, they're not really the same size. The Pixel's quite a bit smaller, actually, when you look at the dimensions, which is yeah, very great much for so. a lot of people. Um, but, yeah, overall, I think this is the... To me, it seems pretty clear this is the best Pixel phone Google's ever made. That, that's my that's my ultimate position on this. From the, from the, you know, one, two, three, there's always four. There's always been some kind of weird... You know, the design feels a generation behind or the battery life substandard or they're just too damn expensive or what have you, right? Every generation, there's something. And this is the first one where I shrug my shoulders and go, yeah, you can nitpick some of the things that you're talking about. You could have the argument that maybe from a value proposition point, there's other phones that may make more sense for some people. I think all of those are valid, valid things that you can say. But when you look at the device overall, it's their best one, incredibly well-rounded. And I think anyone that had was using one as their primary phone, if you're just hoping to get, you know, two years out of your phone or three years even, I think you could do it without any issue and you'd probably really enjoy your time with it. Yeah, and, and you're right. Because if you if you look at what the Pixel brand has represented for Google, um, you know, the Pixel 1 had, <clears throat> I was going to say gigantic, but that's probably being um, a little bit kind, but it, it had massive bezels on the top and bottom and did not, did not look like a modern smartphone. The Pixel 2, the little one, um, had those same bezels and a better display, and the Pixel 2 XL had much smaller bezels, was a much more modern phone, had, had front-facing speakers. But the display was hit or miss and, and largely trash. Uh, the Pixel 3, uh, which I have and still use, um, is a nice little phone. It's a five and a half inch display. It's got front facing speakers, but it, it doesn't really look like a modern smartphone. And this is an era where Samsung is, is trying to shrink bezels massively and give you more screen real estate. The Pixel 3 just didn't really accomplish that. And the Pixel 3 XL had, what did we call it? The bathtub, Grand Canyon notch. I can't remember. What do we call it? An abomination, something like that? Yes. It was, it was terrible. The design just looked ugly and it was mostly to accommodate the dual front-facing cameras, which I think was a really good idea and allowed some flexibility with, with selfie-taking shots. And this becomes, a, a, you know, it's kind of a joke, but it's also a really practical use case. Like I was sitting on the couch with my kids the other night and I wanted to get them all in the shot and I just kind of, whoop, there I go. Now I can get everybody in the camera shot. So it, it's it's it was fun and it, it's a good use case, but in the small one, it, it had... Uh, a much more palatable kind of design, even if it wasn't a modern design. And the Pixel 4, it was really just, well, the small one had a terrible battery. That, so if you're looking at this, the, the Pixel 5 roughly is the same size as the Pixel 4. And the Pixel 4 has a 2,800 milliamp hour battery and the Pixel 5 has an over 4,000 milliamp hour battery. In addition to that, the difference in chipset should tell you everything you need to know about why the Pixel 4 didn't sell because the battery life was atrocious. And the Pixel 5 will probably do really, really well, not only because it's cheaper, but because the battery life, which is something that people actually care about, is really, really good. 
and and it had solely and you know these hand gestures and face unlock and you know I've, it, that seems to be quite honestly one of the most polarizing features because we haven't really discussed it but some of the things that I left out about the Pixel 5 is it does have a 90 hertz refresh uh, display which is nice it does have a, uh, an IP68 water and dust ingress rating um, so you can basically you know allegedly dunk it up to three feet of water for half an hour and be fine. Um, and it also doesn't have a face unlock. It has a, a capacitive fingerprint scanner on the back, which you know the Pixel 3 does, and the Pixel 3 XL did, and, and a few of the other phones uh, still do, but most, most OEMs have gone to an under-display fingerprint scanner. But it, it works, and it's very practical and probably also helped cut down the cost. But to tie it back, I mean, basically the Pixel line has always represented for Google some form of compromise. It's basically a vehicle for delivering their services and kind of flexing their muscle when it comes to computational photography, especially since the 2XL, uh, Pixel 2 and Pixel 2 XL devices, you know, computational photography is really the thing that Google's kind of hung its hat on. So it, it, the Pixels have been and probably still are, you know, maybe, and we'll talk a little bit about the iPhone 12 in a minute, but, you know, maybe still are the best still photography cameras for just pull out your phone out your pocket, take a picture, and you know you're going to get a quality image. Like, that's one of the things you can reliably count on with a Pixel. And and I think Google has, has kind of maybe finally come around to the fact that, like, their days, the days of the Nexus program are over, like, they were working with OEM partners to kind of punch out like, oh, here's something fun and weird that we can do with our phones. And I don't think people, when they see the reimagined, you know, Nexus Nay Pixel line, I don't think people want weird. I don't think people want, you know, bathtub notches or to wave their hand over their phone to skip tracks on their music player. Like nobody gives a crap about any of those things. What they want is a phone that looks good that they can use to stream videos or YouTube or Netflix that has good battery life and that takes good pictures. And to that end, it seems rather bizarre that it really took five generations of Pixel devices for Google to get all of that right. And then here we are bitching about the price. Like it, it, it's mind-boggling to me. And again, I bought I bought every version of the Pixel except for the Pixel Four. And I can honestly say that I have paid way more money for a Pixel device that had way more compromises that I would rather not have had. And I'm not even balking at spending $699 at the Pixel 5 because, you know, by all accounts, the display is really good. You know, if the, again, if we were, you know, picking nits, like, oh, the, you know, dual stereo speakers is it's got this, you know, it, the top speaker is it's vibrating the glass to generate the sound. So it sounds really tinny when you're, you know, playing YouTube videos and you're not using, you know, headphones or whatever. Like, it sounds good for phone calls, but not much for everything else. Well, you know what? I don't really give a crap about any of that because what I want in my phone and what I think a lot of people do want in their phones are the things that we've already talked about. You know, good battery life. It's fast. It takes good pictures. And, you know, now allegedly the video has been improved to the point where I'm not, you know, completely embarrassed to take my phone out of my pocket and shoot a 4K60 video of my kids running around, you know, at the swimming pool or whatever. Like, I think Google, it took them five long years to finally get a phone that's actually worth buying. And it seems strange no, to know, say that, but. Uh, up to this point, I think the best pixels were probably like. You know, the Pixel 2 XL, I think, holds a place in people's hearts. And I, agree. I think the Pixel 3, not the 3 XL. And then I think the 4s, the 4 XL is actually a pretty good phone overall, I always felt. Um, but to your point, like, yeah, I, I agree with you. This this is, to me, like, the it, it's the Goldilocks Pixel in a lot of ways. of the, the things that they focused on. So if you're building a phone that your goal is to have it cost less relative, right? And you said, what are the things that you would cut? versus what are the things that are important. It's like, 
this is the first pixel with a contemporary design. Yes. I mean, every single other pixel has been a generation behind, and this one I think is actually stands up toe to toe with any, and is like one of the. It's not the most exciting, but it's also like a very good looking phone. Um, they focused on battery, massive improvement in battery, which is I think most people's, if not their number one thing, certainly in their top three. Um, they increased the base storage to 128 gig, which is a big deal because 64 isn't enough. And the camera is still, you know, right near the top. And the sensor is probably due for an upgrade. I think next year they need to. They've been using the IMX 363 for, I think, since the 2XL. But yeah. I was looking at comparison, and it's like, it still does really well. I mean, it's still, it, it's funny. I was looking at a shootout between, you know, iPhone, uh, Samsung, um, Huawei, and uh, Pixel. And it's like, the Pixel is no longer the best in every category. It's not. Um, some of the others have caught up in other categories. But when you look at overall, which was your point, um, it was still probably right near the top. And it's reliable. You're right. You can pull it out of your pocket and just take a picture without having to worry about it. So it, it, it's, you know, it still has wireless charging. I think 90 hertz is the sweet spot. Um, I, I wouldn't want to go back to 60. But I will say, you know, as nice as 120 is on the FE and the Z Fold 2, the difference is not stark versus 90, whereas the difference between 60 and 90 is fast. And so I think there might be an argument, again, to be made here, that's why I'm kind of calling it the Goldilocks phone of like, I think for most people, 90 hertz is probably the sweet spot because you get better battery life. And I think the panels are slightly less expensive if you're at 90. And it's like, yeah, the difference from 60 to 90, you notice. It sh phones should have high refresh now. Yep. 90s kind of table stakes at least. But like if you said, okay, it would have cost an extra 40, 50 bucks to have 120, I probably would have said, nah, not worth it. Whereas from 60 to 90, if you said, is it worth 50 bucks? I'm like, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I, 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 you know, they just, yes, it's not perfect. But literally we've been talking about phones for a decade, smartphones, and there is no such thing as the perfect phone. You and I have owned, God, I don't know, 10 each at least and it's like all of them have pros and cons and all of them are at this point mostly really good and a lot of this is just splitting hairs and it's like and you can do that and you can argue that the pixel 5 is not worth it versus some of these others or what have you but i think if you're doing that you're missing the point and again when you're when you're really looking at what you're getting out of your 699 dollars for most people, I think you're getting an exceedingly well-rounded phone that will last you for years that you'll probably literally have almost no complaints over. Uh, and so I'm not sure what else you could ask. I think at the point that you're starting to just, your, your main argument is it's not worth as much money as X phone. Again, you can have that conversation. I think you can say that, sure. But I think a lot of that is opinion at that point, I mean, you can objectively break down the FE versus the, the Pixel 5 and go, the S20 FE is a better value. And you could do that. But, you know, look, Pixel software is still cleaner than Samsung software. Um, you know, Samsung really goes for it by pumping up colors and stuff on their pictures. So they don't look nearly as true to life or have the dynamic range of the Pixel pictures. And, you know, so it's like there are trade-offs. There, there's no... You know, both phones have pros and cons, so I, I don't know. To me, it's like I, I, the reviews have largely been what I've expected, which is this is a really, really well-rounded phone, that we don't have a lot of negative things to say. Probably the biggest argument you can have is, is it worth the money? But again, like, look, you know, I don't want to sound like a snob or anything, but if you're going to keep a phone for a while, it's like, yeah, $100 difference isn't trivial, but it's also not... It's not going to destroy you. You know what I mean? If the Pixel yeah. 5 was $999, it's a very different conversation. For sure. But it's $699, it's like, eh, you know, okay, sure. 
an eight sixty five might have been nice. I just for most people, I was literally watching a guy who took a camera that you know can do frame by frame analysis of the two phones. He put an FE next to a Pixel Five, and yes, if you put it in super slow motion, guess what? The S eight sixty five opens apps faster. Faster. But to the extent that you would notice, not on your life. No chance. Like, the, the difference is virtually imperceptible. And even when I was reading, like, a Reddit's review of, like, well, sometimes it, it hangs or it does this or it does that. It's like, well, you know, as I said, I, I have the Z Fold 2. It has an 865 Plus in it. And it. You know, there's still times where it's like I was scrolling through something on the browser today with the, uh, the messages um, – Google Messages browser window, mm. and like it was choppy and awful, and it could just be unoptimized software. It could be God knows what, but it was like, okay, no phone's immune to this either. I, I just think we're spoiled. Phones are so freaking good that we can have these conversations. Whereas, like you know, legitimately six years ago, it's like, well, this one's battery won't make it through the day, and this one's <laughs> camera is awful and has a gross purple haze on it. So, what's more important to you, making it through the day or having a camera that's worth a damn? And now it's like. Well, you know, if you, if you break it down by milliseconds, it, it opens an application slightly slower. Or, well, you know, uh, this one pumps up the colors in the camera. This one has better dynamic range. And it's like both of them can literally take pictures in the freaking dark. Like yeah. it can be damn near pitch black. And these phones are so sophisticated that they can take a goddamn picture. And it's like, again, four years ago even, it was like, oh, it's kind of dark outside. It's twilight. Bummer for you. Your picture's going to be muddy crap. And so it's like, yeah, I don't know. I, is it a perfect phone? No. Name me a perfect phone. Yeah, it's all in the eye of the beholder. But at the end of the day, it's a contemporary design. I think the price is fine. I I actually really like the, the Yoda Green. Um, giant battery. Uh, you know, you get Pixel updates. Stock Android. Lots to like. I, I don't. I don't have too many objections. Agreed, and especially if you view it through the lens of. If not for the Red Devil uh, forcing Google to price it hundred dollars more, if if this phone was six fifty, I think people were probably like, okay, the the fifty dollar premium between it and the FE, you know, might be worth it, you know, or you know, you might still get some people who say, oh, spend fifty dollars more. If it was at five ninety nine, I think there's not a ton of compelling arguments that you could make to say, well, you know, you should buy the four A five G for hundred dollars cheaper, like just spend hundred dollars more and get this phone. Um, and when we talk about the iPhones, we'll talk about Verizon's kind of stranglehold right now on the on the smartphone industry because, I, and you and I both watched a little bit of the iPhone event, like Verizon's dominating presence there was really disturbing and, and the 5G hype train is is something that really just is is totally not living up to the hype. But I think ultimately at the end of the day, I think where we land is kind of the same thing. Like this is probably the best Google phone ever produced and people who buy it no matter what price they pay, whether they're waiting for Black Friday to get it at a discount or they you know, bought it on pre-order, I think are going to get a really, really good phone for that price. And I think it may go down probably along with that 2XL and the Pixel 3 as you know, not necessarily the, the nostalgia phone, but like, you know what? I'm really damn glad I bought this phone. No, I think so too. I think people will look back who own it fondly of like, it was a really nice size. It was metal. I didn't have to worry about shattering the back. It had great performance. I liked the way it looked. It took good pictures. It was just easy to use. You know, it got updates. It, it, it's, yeah, I agree with you. It's like all of these things are, I think it's going to be fine. And I also think it's super hilarious that I think if it was five ninety nine, 
it would be like the Pixel 4a reviews. I mean, I can't tell you how many Pixel 4a reviews I read. Well, well, it doesn't do this perfectly, but it's $349. Yeah. Well, it doesn't do this also, but it's $349. I feel like if it was $599, I would have read a lot of reviews of like, well, it's not as quick as this, but it's only $599. At $699, for some reason, that seems to have been a real trigger. And I can see why. Like, There's definitely a psychological barrier there between $599 and $699. But in the grand scheme of things, for a device that you use that often for as many years as you'll get out of it, I would say $100 is not the end of the world. And sure, I would like every device to be less expensive. But yeah, I, I, I really like it and I'm really eagerly looking forward to getting yours. And, and I think it's a, again, I think it's a really interesting bookend to, you know, I'm buying this insanely expensive kind of <laughs> almost prototype device. And I feel like you're buying more of like the end. I, I feel like the Pixel 5 in a lot of ways is like the end result of candy bar phone development. Of like it's come so far, it was like they built this kind of like it's a nice size, it has all the basics covered, it does everything really well, it's less expensive, the design's nice, but it's not anything that's too crazy. It it, it feels like the like this is gonna sound negative, but it feels like the like, you know, Honda Accord of, of phones. It's like, yeah, yeah it's the yeah. one that you buy if you just want something that's super well rounded, comfortable, will get you from here to there. Yeah, it may not be flashy, but you're also not paying, you know, a gazillion dollars in maintenance. Yep. And there goes my metaphor. But, but, you know, yeah. Good times. I like it. And um, I'm going to definitely, since you brought it up, um, I, I miss cameras uh, with a purple haze on them. That was Motorola, right? No, it was HTC. Was it the it HTC? Was the freaking H- yeah, it was the... Se- well, Motorola had their own issues with camera. Namely, yeah. they just didn't mm. do good ones for nine years. They were bad. But, um, but HTC, yeah, like the M7, it was like, Hey, cool. You like that camera? You know what happens over time? The, your pictures eventually turn purple. And it's like, that was just kind of the way it was. And it, it, we've come a long way and we're spoiled. True. When we're talking about the things that we're talking about, if the Pixel 5 had come out two years ago, if two years ago the Pixel 5 had come out and that was Google's offering, people would have been like, holy shit. Google's like right up at the front. Yep. You know what I mean? But I it's like now two years later, it's like, well, it doesn't, it's not perfect. And it's like, fuck off. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. <laughs> My official position. <laughs> there you go. I, I stand with you on that. But I, I only brought that up because I, I have I have to use the joke where you go, uh, the photos have a purple haze. Purple yeah. haze. Please, just, <laughs> can we... I already was cursing, so why don't you just edit out the first word and all of that. Just no go way, ahead man. And just... No way. One one bad one bad pun per show guaranteed or your money back. Ugh. So right, we want to talk about the expensive Apple phones. Oh my god, I I was so literally I, I watched probably fifteen or twenty minutes of the iPhone twelve and twelve Pro announcements, and I felt so I felt so gross and so disgusting after watching the Verizon CEO come up on stage and say, "Now five G is real," and I wanted to just shout at my monitor and go. Millimeter wave sucks. You're everything that's wrong with the industry. And why is Tim Cook allowing you time in this pre-recorded, you know, Apple event announcement? But it's, it's, I, I yeah, I don't know what to say. I, I think that, and maybe, and we'll talk about this probably a little bit, but so basically, uh, kind of in a nutshell, Apple announced uh, four phones. So the iPhone 12, iPhone 12 mini, the iPhone 12 Pro, and the appropriately named iPhone 12 Pro Max. So 
there were some big changes, uh, namely the iPhone 12 now has an OLED display instead of the LCD. It's not that crappy 828p um, panel that they've been using in the um, the 10R and the the base 11 for the last couple of years, and and using in um, the 8 and the 7 before that. But it, it's actually now a true um, you know high quality OLED panel because Apple's been really known for their you know for the quality of their calibration on these phones. And, you know, the, the iPhone 12 has two cameras and the Pro has three cameras and it shoots a weird, you know, format and it has LiDAR and some of these other BS things. But to me, the, the big takeaway from the iPhone 12, well, the iPhone announcement was that the HomePod mini is back, baby. Yeah, so, I mean, that is the takeaway. And anyone who watched it and took away anything different is wrong. Um, <laughs> I watched so I watched an just, announcement about iPhones and I came away with a HomePod. Um, yeah, no, let's just leave it there. Exactly. Uh, the, the thing that really struck me the most about the phone announcement was, and I'm going to ask you this question. This is, this is what I immediately thought about it. And I can't remember if we talked about it or not. But why in the world would anybody pay more? for the iPhone 12 Pro when you could just buy the iPhone 12 and have 90% of the features for a couple hundred bucks less. Actually, that was probably my biggest surprise takeaway too. I, I for some reason, did not necessarily expect that. I knew they were all going to be OLED, but I didn't expect them to necessarily like all be the same resolution or all be the same refresh rate. Um, you know, the initial rumors were the pros were going to be 120, and it's like, well, again, if that was the difference, that's a non-trivial difference. But they had problems balancing out the battery life, so all of them are 60. And, uh, yeah, I, I kind of – so I guess here's my takeaways with these phones in no particular order. Um, the Mini is a really interesting device because it's really one of the smallest flagship phones in, like, gener- like you know, years, generations of phones now. And so for anyone that has been clamoring for a smaller phone with flagship specs, it, it. it's great. I just don't know how many people are out there that – really want a phone that size anymore it'll be interesting to see how it sells um so for point of reference for yeah for people who didn't get the announcement the iphone mini or iphone 12 mini is a 5.4 inch display 2340 by 1080 and the standard iphone 12 is the 6.1 inch uh, 2532 by 1170 um, OLED display. Now, in the past years, this is the same size. It was a 6.1 inch, but it was the LCD panel. So the switch from LCD to OLED not only has increased the resolution, but it's also enabled them to do some things that they didn't have the ability to do before, which you get the uh, you know 2 million to 1 contrast ratio. You get a much higher max brightness, you know, 1200 nits max on HDR mode. Like, that's just bonkers. You get the HDR true tone display. You get the P3 wide color gamut. Like, Basically, all of the benefits of OLED in two different sizes, now the non-pro edition. So it really, you know, I kind of agree with you. I don't, you know, I don't know a ton of people who are clamoring for, you know, a small iPhone. But, you know, the, the what was it, the iPhone SE? You know, this is kind of basically the old yeah, this version is, of it. This is, this is smaller than the current 4.7 inch SE. But with a bigger display. slightly Yes, and only slightly larger than the OG four-inch SE. So I mean, it's it's a small phone. Like, you know, you look at it and you're like, shit, this is the smallest phone I've seen in a while. But it's expensive, right? Like, it. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Does it start at seven ninety nine or six ninety nine? Uh, I think it's six ninety nine. But let me pull it up. I'm on Apple's page right now. So. Um. <clears throat> yeah, and it's it's only you know the other thing that bothers me is both the so the argument. 
going back to your original thing, I would say that the 12 is the sweet spot phone. Um, it still angers me that Apple is doing only 64 gigabytes as a base in this yeah. without an SD card slot. That's just in the standard 12. That's correct. Yeah. So the 12 uh, mini, but, the 12 mini starts at 699 before trade in, and the iPhone 12 starts at 799 before trade in. And then the, I think if you go up the next bump in memory, is it $50 or a hundred? Uh, let's choose iPhone 12 mini. I want to say it's 50 on the smaller Blue. ones. Um, we'll say SIM free and 128 gigs is 779. Yeah. So 729 is actually the, the 699 is with carrier subsidization. Yeah. Subsidy. I think it's 729. So Correct. it's only $50 yeah. more. 729 so, to so 779. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. I, I think that they shouldn't have the 64 gig anymore, but otherwise I think the iPhone 12 is like, if, if you were someone that was in that more, I don't, I don't need a pro. You're right. Like the 12 is basically, for all intents and purposes, a pro now and everything, but it's missing a third camera, which, you know, we'll, we'll get to the pros in a minute, but even that is a little bit misleading because they didn't really change the cameras that much in the normal pro. They only really changed them a lot in the pro max. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, if, if I were a buyer, I would fall into one of two categories if I was in Apple land. I'd either at this point look at an iPhone 12 and be like, yeah, I'm going to buy that because it's for all intents and purposes a pro or I would buy the pro max because it is the one that has actual camera upgrades and also, um, you know, the, the giant battery and there's some other nice things, but, um, yeah, I, Apple's announcement left me pretty cold. Um, it, it, one of the things I liked the best was the MagSafe stuff. Yeah. They basically have these line of cases and these chargers that are MagSafe that I think, one of the pain points with wireless charging is obviously that, you know, if you don't get it lined up correctly, it doesn't charge. So this is an interesting way of solving it and kind of one of those things where I'm like, how did no one think of this before? Um, but the actual devices themselves are pretty like, okay, so the A14 is nice, the first five nanometer chip, but it was weird. I was looking at benchmarks today and like in the air, it the benchmarks are a lot higher than in the phones. So it's, are they slowing the phones down. We're not sure yet. I actually saw a benchmark tonight that had the GPU performance in the phone for the A14 below an A13 GPU performance. That's weird. So maybe these are just weird benchmarks, but it's like, you know, th th there's improvement there, but I don't, I don't know if we're, we're in the splitting hairs era where it's like, okay, yeah, it's faster. It's five nanometer. It has a billion more transistors. Will anyone notice at the end of the day? And then it, it all of them are only 60 Hertz. Which again, like I guess in the Apple side of things, it's that's fine because they've always been 60 hertz. But it's like having used high refresh phones and telling you just you know a half hour ago or whatever that my son just got a free Galaxy S20 FE that has 120 <laughs> hertz. Um, it, it's kind of a weird. It, that's a weird omission of like, oh yeah, we're we're gonna just go with 60 hertz, and then the price has crept up, and the price has crept up because. They support Verizon Millimeter Wave, all of them, even the mm -hmm. mini. Um, and the ones here, <laughs> Apple did something really bizarre, though. As we were talking about with the Galaxy S20 FE and even the Pixels, overseas, the ones that don't have Millimeter Wave cost less. Apple did the opposite. The Millimeter Wave ones in the United States are less expensive than they're charging for it without Millimeter Wave overseas, which I don't know how they came up with that pricing strategy, but it's ballsy. They're Apple. But, um, yeah, I don't know. The, 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 one of my buddies at work, who shall remain nameless, he's a big Apple guy. He watched the announcement and he just went, well, I don't see any compelling reason to upgrade. And he's a, he's a yearly upgrader, kind of like we are. 
Um, you know, with the Note line, there was a year like that with the Note 9 where I was like, I see no compelling reason to upgrade, so I'm not going to do it. Which, when companies are losing guys like us, who have to be on the bleeding edge and are willing to pay for it, I think that says something that it, probably the upgrade was just pretty menial. And that's what I feel about these phones. Although, I will say the Pro Max camera upgrades, I am interested to see how that performs. They changed optics and I think up to a larger sensor and they did some other things and I have a feeling that that camera is actually going to be pretty badass but it's kind of a bummer because previously the Maxes both had the same cameras and so you could buy the smaller or the larger and you know have the same quality and now that's not the case it's if you want the best camera pretty decisively I would say based off of what I'm reading you have to go with the large one and that'll probably bump some people out but like I don't know. These, these phones are boring to me. I like the design. They have the flat screen and the flat edge. It's reminiscent of the iPhone 4, which is like one of my, I think one of the better looking phones of all time. Actually, it's kind of iconic. Yeah, I agree. But it's like, there really wasn't, a, there really wasn't a whole lot there for me. I mean, say what you will about the, you know, look, Samsung, say what you will. They've had, you know, a phone that exploded <laughs> and some other problems over the years, right? But That's fair. In a world, in a world of like boring devices, the Z Flip 5G and the Z Fold 2 5G, they stand out. It's like, okay, those are something completely different. You're not going to mistake those for anything else or compared to anything else. It's like, oh, wow, that's really out there, right? Something novel. The iPhones are, you know, they've never been those guys. They're iterative and they do whatever. But because candy bars are so mature, I think the year-to-year improvements are even less. Um and I really think 120 hertz missing that was a missed opportunity because with that addition, I think I would be singing a very different tune where I'm like, well, okay, so now you get the new design, 120 hertz, and you get 5G. That's pretty great. If you're going to have a phone for a couple of years, it's like all the bases are covered. But now if you're buying the 60 hertz one, knowing for sure that 120 hertz is coming next year, it's like I wouldn't do it. They didn't make that many improvements, and I would just buy the one next year because that's the one where I would go, cool, I have everything I need to last me for a few years, whereas this one, the the non-high refresh is like a pretty glaring omission for me. Yeah, and I think you're right because there's a couple of things that um, that I came away from this with with some kind of misgivings about, and the Verizon thing. You know, I mostly joke about it, but it, it, was, it was very icky to see Verizon on stage and, and get almost more... Um, <clears throat> excuse me, get more time than the iPhone 12 did. The The things that really strike me are there are some emissions. So we kind of, we, we praised Google back in the day for the Pixel and the Pixel XL and the 2 and the 2XL, right? Like you could basically get a small or a big phone and there wasn't really a ton of differentiation there except for the size of the display and the size of the battery. And that's kind of what the pros were, especially in the 11 series where the 11 Pro and the 11 Pro Max were phones that were effectively the same except for the size. And now Apple's gone and done something where it's kind of like, if you want the, the best of the best, but you want a small phone, you're kind of SOL. And that seems weird. And I wonder if it has anything to do with their strategy of splitting the phone lines from three into four, where before you had kind of this weird, like the pro was smaller than the cheap iPhone and the cheap iPhone had an LCD, but it was bigger and it got better battery life. And then you wanted the pro max because you wanted just the big phone, but you got the big phone and you got the big battery and you got the cameras and all this other junk. So it seems a little bit strange that Apple would be restricting some of their premium features to the biggest phone because some of their biggest fans don't want the Max. Like they want just a smaller pro phone and now they can get it, but they're missing out on some other features. And 
you know, if, if not for that, like, what am I paying my $9.99 for? I mean, I do like the fact that they eliminated well, the 64 gig tier from the pros. Like now 128 is the bottom level, which is, has, is, which is how it should be. But like, why, why, what is, why are they doing that? Well, I mean, devil's advocate, and I'll give them a little bit of credit here. Like at some point you run up against the ugly realities of physics, right? It's like, you know, you have to fit all of these things in the packaging and, if you want things like larger lenses or telephoto or those things, they take up physically more space. And I think sometimes you just get to a point where it's like, okay, we can't, you can't do it anymore. You can't meet those packaging restrictions. And so I, I think that's part of the equation. I'll give them a little bit of, <coughs> bit of a doubt there of like, you know, it's amazing the technology that's in these phones, obviously. And also it's, you know, we're, we're getting to the point now where yes, in order to, to do better cameras in a, you know, we've largely hit the limits, I think, with the sensors of like, okay, unless you start putting in bigger sensors, we, we had this kind of like movement you alluded to earlier where it was like, okay, we had traditional sensors, but we got computational photography. And that moved forward the, the cameras and smartphones for a few years now. But now we're running up against that limit again of like, okay, so the computational photography basically allowed us to eke out every last, last ounce of what we could out of these kind of more traditional camera sensors. And so now you're seeing the Samsungs and the Apples of the world are like, okay, well, I need to get a bigger sensor in there or I need to do actual things that are hardware related in order to really up the ante. But in order to do that, it takes up a lot of space. And so I, I think, you know, I, I don't blame Apple for this. This is just kind of the realities of I think the, the hardware and how photography works. But it is kind of a, a glaring like, ah, oh, that, that is a bummer. It's if you want the best, you got to go with the biggest phone. Whereas they were one of the few OEMs that were kind of giving people the option of retaining a smaller form factor and getting the best. But you know, Samsung, they're in the same boat, right? The the Ultra Note and S20, respectively. Their cameras have a giant hump, and physically, they couldn't get that into the smaller sized phones or the Z Fold 2 for that matter. And so, you know, they don't have that sensor. They don't have the 180-megapixel sensor because they physically couldn't fit it. And then we saw renders of the S21 Ultra leak out today, and it's like it has a giant-ass camera hump. It does. And so we're, we're, kind of, we're, we're kind of in this weird era now where it's like, okay, well, you know, we've hit the limits of normal sensors, traditional sensors. We've hit the limits, not completely, but of computational photography to augment that. And now the next frontier is these giant sensors or, you know, advances in optics but that there's a price to pay for that which is it, they take up a lot more room and so um let me we'll let see me if this maintains over the years yeah let me let me hit you with something because this also was something that i took away from the announcement so <clears throat> the 12 and the 12 pro are now exactly the same size 6.1 inch display couldn't they have taken the pro and made it a little bit bigger maybe accommodated some of those things from a from a physical if the, if if truly sensor size is the problem couldn't they have made the pro a little bit bigger like make it 6.3 inch give that size as another differentiator and then maybe cram a bigger sensor in there sure they probably could have done that but keep in mind there the pros are expanding in size from 5.8 to 6.1 so this was already the size already increased. Yeah, the, the last year was weird. You had six one five eight, and then you had six five. Right? Is that yeah. what it was last year? Yeah. And now this year it's five four six one six one six seven, which actually makes more sense to me in a lot of ways because it always seemed. I think as a consumer, it's confusing a little bit 
I think consumers associate larger numbers with better for better or worse. Um, and so the 5.8 pro might sound worse on paper than a 6.1 inch X or uh, 11 last year. So they already increased it. So I, I guess that, you know, but the footprint of the 6.1 is still pretty small. It's actually not, um, I, it's, I think slightly smaller than the 11 was last year because they managed to, you know, decrease the bezel size and do some other things. So the, the answer is probably yes. Like, I think probably you're right. They probably could have done a 6.3 and that's still a small, small enough compared to the 6.7 that it's like, oh yeah, there's a difference. Um, and maybe squeeze that stuff in, but who knows? Maybe they, maybe even then you couldn't, you know, maybe it was just, Hey, we would really have to make the phone. You know, maybe the maybe the, the twelve max is the size that you have to make it to include those. You know, the optics, the optical yeah. package that they're including. I, I don't know, but yeah, overall, like it'll be interesting to see again in a year with COVID, where a lot of people are like hurting for money. It's their phones got more expensive, and when you're really looking at what they are bringing to the table versus last year, I just don't see a lot of compelling reasons to upgrade now iPhones are impervious to this, so it doesn't matter. They'll probably sell 80 gazillion and I'll end up being wrong because that's always the way I roll um, when it comes to predicting Apple. But it, it is—it it seems like a lackluster year for me. Yeah, and one of the other things that, um, that I wanted to touch on before we kind of wrap up the, the iPhone discussion is there was a lot that was made. So you brought up the MagSafe stuff, right? So magnets on the back of a phone, yay, who knew? But... One of the reasons that MagSafe made such news, not only because it's incredibly popular or was popular, I'm using, well, used a MagSafe charger to charge my MacBook Pro, but Apple made the decision to remove the charging brick and the ear pods from the boxes this year, citing environmental concerns and the fact that most people are upgrading from an iPhone to an iPhone, so they already have that rinky-dink-ass 5-watt you know, wall charger anyway, so why give them to people anyways? But I was listening to the Vergecast um, from Friday, I think, when they were talking about the Apple announcements. And Neelai floated this theory, and I want, I want to run it by you. I think it was Neelai. It might have been Dieter. So if Neelai or Dieter, if you're listening, I apologize. Um, what do you think about them going to MagSafe? Because instead of converting from Lightning to USB-C, they want to convert from Lightning to portless phones. No, I mean, th- this isn't a rumor. Th- this is, I think, Prosser and those guys have just straight up said that that is the goal. I think we're less likely to see a, a Type-C iPhone than we are a portless iPhone. That's that's where they're going. They're going portless. And in order to do that, you have to solve this problem, and this is kind of their solve, I guess. But but no question, um, that's where they're going. They're, they're, I don't think we'll ever see a Type-C iPhone. I could be wrong, I, you know, who knows, really, but, like, I, I think if they do Type-C, I, I think the reason they don't, actually, is because I think it would be, like, a year, and then I think they would move to the portless, like, thereafter, and it's like, well, why even bother if you're going to do it for that short of a time? Um, Here, here's so, why. No, here's I, why you bother. What, um, what port is used on the um, iPad Pros? Oh, no, Type-C. What, what port is used on all of the MacBook Pro lines this year and last year? Type-C. So why in the hell would they convert most of their high-end line to a universal USB Type-C standard 
and still keep lightning in the iPhones. Now, granted, maybe the Mini and the and the 12 you keep as lightning, but why not convert the Pros? I mean, obviously, other than to have the SKUs, but they have SKUs of iPads that run off of lightning and the run off of USB-C too. So it, it seems very unusual and very, if you'll forgive me, very un-Apple-like to have your iPad and your MacBook charge off of a different chart. Like your MacBook cannot charge your iPhone. Like the hell, man? What is up with that? No, it is bizarre, but I feel like they got caught in a weird place of like, I think that they can sell... So on the on the um, iPad and the you know MacBook side, I think you can sell people that these are like more pro devices, and people just expect to be able to use them something more akin to a computer. Where like I don't think you could get away with a portless laptop. You could try, but I don't think you can, right? No, I agree. So I think consumers, the expectation there is that it's more like a computer, but with a phone. I actually do think that you can say, you know, okay, we have MagSafe, we have wireless charging, um, we have all these other standards for trans- transferring data wirelessly. Um, this makes the phones less complex. It's something that you don't have to worry about. It's a hardware feature you don't have to worry about failing. Um, you know, it makes it easier to make them waterproof and what have you. Uh, you know, oh, that probably it's probably like the same as the headphone jack too. Like, oh, it allows to put a bigger battery or whatever the hell they're gonna say. Yeah, crap. It's coming. It's coming. That just seems. It just seems really. Um, it just seems really weird to me, and it also seems very, very unApple like. It just seems stupid. Like, I don't see any reason why they couldn't do it, other than the fact, like you said, like if they're really gonna go portless, they're like, well, screw it, we're not gonna do it for one year, so just let people suck it up and deal with it. And you know, maybe they can't get you know, um, you know, the licensing money for licensing the Lightning standard, a bunch of people to make accessories for them, which are going to do, and they certainly can and will license the MagSafe stuff to get additional income from that because. Eventually, if we do have portless phones, portless iPhones in particular, well, you got to charge it with something. So, you know, how am I going to get that on there? Well, um, you can buy MagSafe charging cases from Belkin or Anchor or you know, any of these other, you know, you know, Nomad or any of these other third-party um, smartphone accessory manufacturers, and basically say like, okay, this is the new Lightning standard. It's a wireless charging, and it it is, you know, quote unquote MagSafe, but it is really just a new way to get power into your device by using this, this technology, which is going to replace lightning. And it's going to, it's going to be its own thing. Unlike, you know, the Android world where largely USB-C has kind of taken over and become kind of like the universal standard. And it is an open standard, which is really nice, especially if you want to use a cable to charge your laptop and charge your tablet and charge your phone. Like you can use the same cable. You don't need three different cables for three different devices. It's, it's, I don't know, it, it seems, I mean, the argument to remove the brick and the, the ear pods is kind of like, well, we want to save the environment. Well, you know what, you know what you would have could have done to save the environment, not invented another charging standard that people are going to have to go out and buy accessories for like, yeah. And not only that, like the whole thing rings hollow to me. It's like when you look at what they're charging for a brick and everything else, like pure and simple to me, it's this is another way for them to increase their margin on their iPhones. But it's like, it's super ironic that of course, did the phones get less expensive with the removal of those things? No, they're more expensive this year than they were the year before. True. So it it, it cracks me up, but Apple can get away with it. People have, they've been shown thus far to be impervious to these kinds of changes. Their customers will continue to do it, um, pay and and do these things. And yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I would, 
if I were a betting man, my bet would be on a portless iPhone before a Type-C iPhone. Yeah. And my also bet would then be that Android OEMs will probably follow, follow suit. suit. Not too long thereafter. future. But, yep. but that kind of sucks. It's like, you know, if, you're, if your wireless charger stops working, then your phone's dust in the wind. Yeah, right? you're pretty um, much SOL at that point. Yeah, so it's it, it'll be an interesting time, but that that's where my money is. I don't know if it'll be next year or the year after, but it's got to be coming soon. I hear you. So, um, you want to talk about the AT at all? Um, we can talk about it a little bit real quick. I mean, it, it's... It, uh, um, it's a longtime friend of the show. Alex from. is a, a OnePlus fanboy now. He has the 7 Pro. Do you think he's, do you think he's even considering the AT at all? I wouldn't. I don't think the AT is... I'd, I'd much rather have an 8 Pro than I would an 8T. Last year, the 7T was like really the sweet spot of everything. Um, it's a good phone. I was a big fan of that. But um, now it's like, well, um, it it's basically an 8, so they kept all of the can't, you know, 48 megapixel on the camera optics, which is the weakest point of the 8. They, you know, they added a monochrome and they added this macro. ridiculous 2 megapixel macro, <laughs> whatever the hell it is. Two, two um, megapixel, by the way, 2 megapixel. Hello, uh, 2007 wants its camera module back. <laughs> so it's like, so it's like the upgrades are, it has a nicer 120 hertz screen, which is great. Um, it's got a bigger battery and the battery is like split into two. It's like two batteries. Yeah, the two pods, yeah. Faster charger, fa- faster charge. 65 watt. Cool. 65 watt fast charging. Yeah, but I can only just imagine what that's doing to your battery. But okay, shredding so you have it. That, yeah. <laughs> but no wireless charging, and the cameras weren't improved. And so when I look at it for seven hundred and forty nine dollars, it's like, well, I'd much rather have oh, and no official IP rating. Nope. Unless you get the T mobile version. Yeah. So it's like when you look at all of those things, it's like, eh, I'd re- why would I why would I want that over an S twenty FE? I guess becomes my immediate question. Yeah. For 50 bucks cheaper, no less. And, you know, OnePlus has done some really interesting stuff. There have been a lot of beef about their um, the updates to Oxygen OS, making it look more like Samsung's One UI, which, you know, you can argue for, you can argue against. You know, they're still brutally fast. The one uh, the OnePlus 8T does come with a SKU that I think is um, 12 gigs of RAM, 256 gigs of internal storage. So you're getting a relatively, you know, future-proof phone. It's got the latest flagship. It's going to, it's fast now. It's going to stay fast for a number of years. The cameras are not fantastic. They're just okay. Um, you could, you know, install Gcam port on it if you wanted to, I guess. And now that they have the, um, now that they have the ability, I did this on my 7T to use Gcam and use all three of the lenses, you get a little bit better quality image out of it. So there's some things you can do to mod that phone, but I agree with you. If I, if I was, and I am an owner of the OnePlus 7T, like if I look at the 8T and I go, do I, do I really want a 120 Hertz screen? Do I really want, um, you know, a, an updated processor? Do I really want four more gigs of RAM and double the storage? Like, do I really want to pay 750 bucks for it? Eh, it's just a tough sell. It's, it's kind of weird. Like, OnePlus was my OEM of the year last year, I think. I felt like their phones last year overall, the 7 Pro, the 7T, everything they did was like, man, you're make, what you're doing makes a lot of sense to me. And then this year, the 8 didn't make complete sense to me and was expensive. The 8 Pro was nice, but then they had, like, supply problems and also very expensive and then the nord didn't even launch here head scratcher 
Yeah, and the Nord, which was probably their best bet from a value proposition standpoint, didn't even right. launch in the U.S. Didn't bring here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, they've had a weird year, and I, I don't... Carl Pay left. Way, um, for me. Yeah. One of their co-founders left the company. Like, it's just a, it's just a strange... Uh, as much as... As much as some of these OEMs, like Apple's probably going to, I mean, they're going to sell a crap ton of phones, but the 12s are kind of just meh. Like I, I like the 12. I don't, I can't see a ton of value in the mini and the, the 12 Pro and the 12 Pro Max are just, you know, they should have called them the 11S and just call it a day. Um, I think Google pumped out some really good value phones. Like the 4A was probably, and still maybe, you know, the phone of the year, like for what you get for 350 bucks is crazy. The 4A 5G is you know, some people will tell you it's what the Pixel 5 should have been. And, you know, I would tell you that the Pixel 5 is is Google's ultimate phone. Like, this is their destiny to sell, like, upper mid-tier phones at reasonable prices that do all of the Google things well. You got Samsung, which punched out the um, S20 and S20 Plus and Ultra. Um, the S20 Plus, which we have in our house, is a great phone, and I love it a lot. The FE is a really, really nice phone and a super compelling value at six ninety nine. So they they had a pretty good year. The, the Notes were, you know, the the uh, Note Plus is a good phone. The the regular Note Ten should not exist in any universe, um, alternate reality. Yeah, the, the Note Twenty. The Note 20, 20 sorry. is like one of the weirdest misses of all time. Yeah. Like I don't actually know what happened there. It's bizarre that the same company that made the FE made the Note Twenty within like a few months of each other. It's like. I guess the company's literally so large they must not talk to each other, but it makes no logical sense whatsoever. So, and you know, look, their phones were really overpriced this year. Samsung's too. Like the S twenty was it's insane to start a phone at nine hundred ninety nine dollars. I mean, for the base. Yeah. So they kind of had a weird year, but you know, I, I think the Z Fold five G is really interesting. Uh, Z Flip five G is a really interesting phone, and the yep. Z Fold two is great. The Note twenty Ultra is great. So they had a good year overall. Um, I think the OnePlus eight Pro is a good phone, but OnePlus had a weird year, and the the not bringing the Nord over was a bizarre miss. And then um, LG did some LG stuff, like the V60 was fine, and the the I actually really like the Wing. The Wing baby. Phone, but but and then it, you know, and then Apple had this kind of. So yeah, I mean, if you were asking me like the standout phones of like which phones were the most interesting for me this year, it would be probably the OnePlus Eight Pro, the Z Flip. 5G and Z Fold 2 5G. The foldables, yeah. Um, the Note 20 Ultra. I think the Pixel 5 is really interesting. And then I, I would also probably say, like, I think that the 12 Pro Max is an interesting phone, although, you know, again, when you start getting into, well, what actually changed in the money and those kinds of things, it, it, gets, it gets tough. But and, and I really do like the Wing, so LG even has interesting phones. But, um, yeah, overall, like, <laughs> every year... Overall, the overall quality of the phones is really good, but there's just bizarre things that happen every year, and I guess we should just be used to it by now. Yeah. But it just, it is strange. It's, you know, for every good thing Samsung does, they bring out the Note 20 for $999. It's like, what the hell are you doing? I think, was like, that the like, was that the one where MKBHD's review of it was uh, Note 20, this ain't it, Chief? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just objectively, like, ridiculous. It's existence. It shouldn't exist. I think I just said that on our podcast. Yeah. It has no reason to exist. It should not exist. But anyway, you know, in, overall, the phones are really good. Kind of, we are in the splitting hairs territory, and people can pick what they like. And um, yeah, you know, there you go. 
Good deal. Any uh, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? We went a little bit long, but I think we covered a lot of ground, and it was important because Techtober has a ton of stuff that we needed to get through. But um, any final thoughts? No, uh, you know, again, I, I think we're kind of at the end of the year, so we're not going to see anything else. And overall, I would say this year was pretty solid for smartphones. There were some definite standouts, but I think overall you can see that innovation and stuff is lagging. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens kind of next year as, again, I, I'm expecting a year of like incremental updates. We'll probably get under screen cameras and we'll get 120 hertz on the iPhones. But then what else next year are we going to get? I'm not really sure. It, it said they're pretty mature products and they're really good. And it's like, eh, you know, maybe, maybe we've just kind of hit a stagnation standpoint until foldables start getting really good. Yeah. Um, if we can get that uh, Z Flip 2 5G with, or Z Flip 3 5G with a, a bigger outside display, um, I, I, that to me is a really, really compelling product, and I definitely want to take a closer look at that. You know, I don't, you know, I don't know if I'm compelled to buy it at $13.99, but it, it certainly, that would be the most intriguing thing that I'm looking forward to in 2021 is what, what Samsung can do with the iterations of their foldables because they're going to have a huge lead and do have a huge lead. And I think they're only going to get better from here as people try to play catch up. They're going to be kind of the gold standard for foldables and, you know, may really have cornered the market there and um, their display tech is something else. So I'm, I'm looking forward yeah, to that we'll for see. sure. Cool. Right on. Thanks. We've done it. Yep. Absolutely. Another winning, uh, another winning, award winning podcast, as always. So (laughs) take it easy, my dude. Good night. Have a good night. Bye. So that's the show, everybody. Thanks again for listening. And remember, you can subscribe or follow the podcast wherever fine podcasts are sold. And if you enjoyed the show, make sure you tell a friend. It really helps the channel out. Thanks again, everybody. And remember, we will talk tech soon.